0: Today's conversation will be with both Julie and Jen. Julie serves as the executive director of a Wisconsin CASA agency, and Jen is one of 70,000 volunteers. CASA. I once served as a CASA volunteer. That service was one of the most dear and important services I have ever provided to the community, and I look forward to resuming that service. Welcome, Julie and Jen.
1: I actually originated from Indiana, did my undergraduate at Purdue University, and then went to law school at Indiana University. Started to know about CASA and what CASA advocates do um, and how important their role Um, that had been found abused and neglected um, have to have a CASA advocate. It's mandatory in the state of Indiana. And then we moved here, my husband and I and our four children moved to Wisconsin um, in 2000. So I've been here almost 20 years, so now we consider ourselves Wisconsinites. About eight years ago, seven to eight years ago, and I remember it vividly because it was November 11th, it was Veterans Day. At that time, the Penn State scandal involving sexual abuse um, of boys and the Sandusky trials. And that was when that information just started to come out. Um, Sandusky had been accused um, of sexual abuse with several victims didn't know the extent of the number of victims at that time. And I was interested in looking at the indictment that was being handed down and, and looking at that. And I remember thinking how sad it was that we as a nation are not doing a very good job at all in protecting our children here, protecting the most vulnerable. And I remember thinking about that, and I have come from a place of faith. And so I was praying about it and wondering what I could do to help. Again, at that time, keep in mind, I was a stay-at-home mom, volunteering a lot, but I was not working, had not even thought about going back to work. And the executive director on that day called me, his name it was Noel Ryder, uh, executive director from Lakeshore Cap, called me, had never met him, had never, hadn't even heard, I'm embarrassed to say, of Lakeshore Cap at that time. And he called and he asked, or he introduced himself to me. Um, He said that he knew my background in Indiana and asked if I'd ever heard of the CASA program. And while I had, again, because of my history in, in Indiana, I knew about the CASA program. He stated that Manitowoc County had a CASA program. They were in need of an executive director. And he asked if I would be interested in coming to learn more. And I said, well, you know, I'm not interested in going back to work, but I would be interested in coming to see what I could do to help the program in Manitowoc. And that was eight years ago. I went, met Noel Ryder, and became the director and became involved in the program. And I think that for me, it's so much more about a job. It really is a passion for me. Children's rights um, and advocating for kiddos, it's a passion. It's what I do. And I often say if I wasn't working, I'd be appearing for the program in some capacity. And I often laugh, too, that if you, know, if you find yourself standing around me very long, although now with what's going on, that, that's not going to happen, that once social distancing is over, if you find yourself standing around me too long, I'll start to size you up and see where we can put you in the CASA program. Because I 100% believe in this program and the work that our advocates do, and whether you're an advocate or volunteering in some other capacity. There's something in this program for everyone. So I probably gave you too much information, Patrick. But that's that's my story.
0: Well, guess what, Jen?
2: Jen Fodden. and I am. Uh, I moved here to Wisconsin from Canada in 2012. And um, lots of people ask me why would I come to Manitowoc from Canada. Um, I reconnected with a high school sweetheart, and we we decided to get married later in life. So here I am. So I moved around quite a bit to say that, but each time I found myself sort of in the helping hands environment, either volunteering or working, so um, my career has been as a residential counselor in homes, group homes for um, disabled adults, I've also um, worked, my longest career was as work with, um, my specialty was in hospice, death and dying, so I did that for about 35 years. When I moved to Manitowoc, I had to transition into um, my immigration and wasn't permitted to work. So I did a lot of volunteer work um, with hospice, with different boards. And one day in 2015, I read an article in a paper about something I hadn't heard of, was CASA. And people who were interested could come to a meeting and find out more. And the rest is kind of history. I I came home from that interview, that fact-finding mission, um, determined that I wanted to come involved. Children have been a a special spot for me in my life. I did run my own daycare for disabled kids. The foster care system is heavily burdened. Wherever you live in the world, you will see that. And um, I was really interested in being able to help.
0: Jen, you said you saw an article, I think, in the paper. I think it might have been the same with me when I became a CASA volunteer. One of my goals for what we're doing now is to inform and hopefully motivate someone or others to actually call the office and begin the conversation. Let's do the CASA skeleton, exactly what it is and its history.
1: CASA actually is court-appointed special advocate. It's a national volunteer movement, and it began in 1976. Its founder was Seattle Superior Court judge David Sukup. And he decided that he couldn't endure any more sleepless nights worrying about the lifelong impact his decisions had on abused and neglected children. And he really felt like he needed more information regarding the children in foster care that were coming in front of his court, a child in need of protection and services. And he felt like he knew more about the parents than he did the children. How were the children doing? If the children were safe, how long they'd been in care. So he felt like he needed more information regarding the kids. And he felt like he couldn't look to any of the professionals to do more than they were already being done. So caseworkers the social workers involved in the case, he felt were already overburdened. They were already putting in as much as they could and providing the information that they were able to provide. The children involved in under that protective order also have an attorney and he felt like to be honest, it would be too costly to ask the guardian items. the attorneys to do more than what they were already doing. So he founded the CASA program, looking to volunteers, to lay people such as Jen, that's able to come in and give the judge um, information during the court proceedings and us in between the court hearings. So in Wisconsin, in Manitowoc County, we do that through a court report that the advocates file with the courts, usually on a monthly basis, um, sometimes every other month, and Also attend the court proceedings involving that child in that protective order to be an extra eyes and ears for the judge and also a voice for the child in the courtroom. So the CASA program, the national movement, has resulted in 49 of the states having a CASA program. In Wisconsin, we also have a state organization, the State CASA um, of Wisconsin. And then here in Manitowoc, we actually started in 2004. A steering committee was put together. It was uh, Judge Dietz, not the Judge Dietz that's currently on the bench, but Judge Darrell started a steering committee in Manitowoc, and that was in 2004. And then they started serving kids in Manitowoc in 2006. So when we talk about a CASA advocate, one of the roles that they do is they're an investigator. So not investigating what happened prior to that child being found to be in need of protection and services, but what's happening after the fact. And so they're gathering information. They're gathering facts about this kiddo. And in order to do that, you really need to talk to everyone that's involved in that child's life. So that means the teachers, um, that means daycare providers, mom and dad, foster parents, a therapist, um, an aunt, uncle, whomever may be a collateral source, an important person to that child, that's able to give us more information. When we talk about um, advocating for kids for kids um, as a casa advocate we're not just talking about in the courtroom. Um, We're really advocating for them in all areas of their life and in all systems. So for example, in the educational system. So if we are advocating for a child that is also attending school, it's important for the advocate to reach out to the teachers um, and say, you know, how is this child doing? What are their needs? What are services that aren't being provided, that can be provided? So we make sure that um, is doing well in all areas. So in order to do that, you have to build some of those connections with everyone that has a connection with the child. So the advocate will actually start off by by meeting with everyone face-to-face, including the social worker, the case worker, and the teacher. And then on a monthly basis, we'll check in with them to see if they have information that they would like to provide that maybe the advocate's not aware of. And again, if there's any concerns that the that person may have, whether the caseworker or the teacher, regarding the guardian ad litem, whomever it may be, and then they take that information and they submit it to the judge in that monthly report that I was talking that I was talking about earlier. So asking or providing information and then making recommendations to the court if there's a need there for the child that's not being fulfilled. Um, well, you know, it's interesting in Wisconsin by statute. Um, Casa advocates actually can talk to anyone that has information about a child. You know, we have to make sure that we have releases signed. Of course, when we're talking about um, information that might be protected by HIPAA, we will have releases signed by mom and dad. But otherwise, we are allowed to talk to to talk to talk anyone on, by statute. And it does give us a little bit more leeway than it does some of the other professionals on the case, absolutely. Yeah, so typically, we would be recruiting advocates. We recruit in all different ways. So, of course, we have all of our social media um, platforms that we use for recruitment, newspapers that we use. We put in information in church bulletins, radios, podcasts, like you're doing. This is a great way for us, hopefully, um, to get the word out about CASA and for recruitment. And then the different events that we have throughout the year that we use for recruiting of advocates. You know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, what are we looking for in backgrounds of potential volunteers for the CASA program? And the only thing I'm really looking for is that passion for kids. You do not need to come from a social work background or a legal background. We have advocates that come from all different careers, all different walks of life, all different ages. Some of our advocates are retired. The most, most of our advocates right now are working and holding down uh, full-time jobs. Once you have an interest in the program, you meet with me. We do an application process We want to make sure that we are keeping everyone safe, including our our youth and our kids, um, especially. So we do an extensive background check with our advocates. And once we go through that application process and the background check, then our advocates need to go through 30 hours of training in order to be a volunteer. And again, this is according to National CASA Standards and also according to Wisconsin Statute Children's Code 48. It's very of what our advocates need to be trained in in the different areas. So we talk about reporting abuse and neglect. In the state of Wisconsin, our CASA advocates are mandated reporters. So we talk about that, we go through that training, about child knowledgement of growth, um, hitting those milestones, where there might be concerns, talk about social issues, health issues involving our families and our children. Um, And again, that's comprised of 30 hours of in-person training. We are looking at doing some distance learning training as well, Um, so we hope soon to be able to offer that starting in the fall. So advocates that want to be trained um, and if we're unable to do that in person, then we're right now we are currently looking at some alternatives to that um, and we're excited to be able to offer that soon.
0: Thank you, Julie. Jen, do you have any opportunity for continuing uh, support and education?
2: Yes, I'd like to add that. I think we, in a world that doesn't have social distancing, we as a group um, meet once a month and often there we have speakers or some mini training. So we have an obligation to do some online training as well as we can support if we take a course that's related, we can submit that information to Julie so she's aware that we're continuing our education outside of what um,
1: CASA is offering.
2: So, yes, there's continual ongoing. We meet, we support each other, and we do some education at least once a month.
1: Thank you, John. I was just going to say that. So it is 12 hours of continuing education. The other thing I was going to say is once our advocates come, the other thing, a part of their training is that they need to observe uh, two um, court seats. So, so we do that as well. They are actually sworn in. They take an oath in front of the judge. They are sworn in by one of our judges here in Manitowoc County before they take that first case. And then like Jen said, there's a 12 hours of continuing education requirement. Yes, yeah, no, I think it's important to talk about the statistics. What we're seeing here locally is the same as being seen nationally, so I think it's important to talk about that. The other thing too um, to talk about, I think, is a little bit of ACEs, I don't know. How familiar you are when we talk about adverse child experiences
2: I think it just comes back down to that constant one-on-one with your with your kiddo um, yeah I think that the regular face-to-face with your kiddo is the most important thing for the child and for the whole program how important that is especially now during we're doing the social distancing we have to all be very creative on how we can keep that connection goings so we're doing sidewalk waving we're doing signs in the windows we're doing virtual visits so having to be creative Julie I'm so passionate about this so if Julie asks me to participate in any way if that becomes being a coach I'm happy to do that I have spoken at a few classes for newbies coming in and I've joined Julie on some radio talks so that growth for me has been wonderful too
1: Um, You know, the other thing too, Patrick, about Jen is, so Jen, you became a CASA volunteer what year again? Uh, It's actually this month of 2015. So five years. And Jen is on the same case she was when she started on the first day. So I think that that I can talk about um, the requirements of being an advocate. So Jen can tell us exactly what that looks like on a weekly basis more than I can.
2: I know when I first started up, I had understood that the average case is about 18 months while the chips order is in place. So it's been an interesting journey to be involved with the same child and some of the same supports that that child has for five years. And it's been an, you know, it's been an up and down. There's been some really good movements forward, and there's been some times where we've we've all had to work a little harder to make sure that he gets the support. That the kiddo needs. So seeing it, just seeing the child weekly and seeing how the progresses that are made, you gotta you gotta hang on to those and move forward with those and uh, make sure that that you're reporting those well to the judge so that the judge has a very good idea of what the child is going through. I think actually me being involved in one for five years this has been a really a fortunate experience for both me and the child. It's such a, a a long connection to help him with his resiliency, and I. I'm, I'm not his uh, buddy. I'm actually, so I make sure that he has a voice that's being heard. Because there have been instances where I think a lot of people are sort of caught up in what happens to the child and doesn't necessarily speak for the child directly. So I've had an opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, I would like to say that Jen's case going five years is definitely not the norm. I mean, they, they typically are 18 to two years. Um, especially when Jen started becoming an advocate five years ago. Um, Although, unfortunately, with the trend that we are seeing um, with the drug use, again, locally and nationally, we are seeing parents that due to substance misuse and that cycling uh, nature as they, they fight struggles with addiction. Unfortunately, that does mean that kids are staying under that protective order longer. Five years ago if you would have told me that Jen would be on the case for five years, I'd say, Oh no, that's that's not that's not the norm. That's that's not gonna not gonna happen. But unfortunately kiddos are staying under those longer and longer, not just locally but also nationally. Yeah, I drug court. You I think you said that you just had somebody on from, from drug court. You know, the work that our counties that are fortunate enough to have a drug court and the work that's being done is amazing and it's um, exciting to watch Um, and cuts is involved in in that in some capacity. So it's exciting to see that partnership.
2: Well, I think then it's probably a good idea to just also focus on the, the the process of being recruited and trained is painless. It's interesting. It's educational. And I think, um, then the commitment to the child is important as well.
1: And then I would, Patrick, like to include something on there about donations and fundraising, since we are 80% funded by by donors and, and fundraising. So I'd like to talk a little bit about funding. If TASA in Manitowoc does not receive any national, state, or local funding, which I think is important for the listeners uh, to know. We do receive about 20% of our budget. It does come from local foundations, and we are very thankful for that. But the remaining portion of our budget does come from fundraising and donation. We've been able to not just sustain, but also to grow. We're going to be adding another full-time volunteer coordinator which is important because we need to add advocates. In order to add advocates, we need to add a supervisor. So by bringing on another full-time supervisor will enable us to bring on another 30 advocates, which enables us to serve potentially serve 75 more children. So that's extremely important and very much needed. Or five years ago in Manitowoc County, we had, I think, 52 children that were under that protective order, had been found to be a child in need of protection and services. Currently in 2020, we have 112 kids and we are serving those, or the CASA program still has the same number of staff than we did, that we did five years ago. So we are going to be in the next month bringing on another volunteer coordinator so that we can serve potentially 75 more kids. So that's that's huge for us. And we were able to do that through a local foundation. We were the recipient of funds that they gave. Otherwise, all of the money does come from donations and fundraising. So that support from the, from the community, that buy-in from the community, is extremely important to us. And we've been very thankful to have had that since we started in 2004.